Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review some Bengals headlines, and we're also going to give out some positional group grades for the 2022 season. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Hey, Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce to you the one and only Frank LaPlaca. All right, so here we are in the midst of free agency. We continue to bring in new players. The draft is about three weeks away, so this team's going to have a slightly different look than last year. It's always exciting when we bring in new talent and develop their roles and improve the team. I know the safety position took a hit. We're going to have some new blood at tight end, but I'm confident that this team continues to improve, and we're going to remain one of the top teams in the league. All right, so let's go over some Bengals headlines. But first, anyone who's listened to the show before, you're hearing something new on this episode and the last episode, and those are commercials. And I know normally I get right to the point. I don't have long musical intros, not a lot of fluff. But I joined this new network called the Fans First Sports Network, and I think it's going to really help the show grow and expand its audience. And as a result of that, you know, I have, I'm going to have some ads in the show. I'm going to start putting out more episodes, but the episodes are going to be shorter. And I think overall it's going to be an improvement. And the guys who run this network were actually part of SB Nation, and there was some big split. I don't really follow all the, all the podcast gossip out there, but they're starting their own network. They're hungry to make it succeed. Crazy part is there's four of them, and they're Pittsburgh Steelers fans. So oddly enough, I was able to break bread with them. We're actually friends. I decided that it was worth joining the network. They made me a good offer. So here we are. And now on top of that, they want me to run, not just have the unofficial Bengals podcast on the network, but they want me to have a Bengals network within their network. So I'm going to talk about this more as it develops, but I have four other shows that I'm going to put on. So now there's the unofficial Bengals network is going to have a total of five shows. So we're going to bring a whole lot of different opinions, a whole lot of different perspectives and styles, and just tons of Bengal information. So without over-talking this, which I probably have already, be on the lookout for new things from the podcast and from the other shows that are going to be joining me. But with that said, let's get on to some Bengal news. All right, so some of the big headlines are we brought in some more free agents. Now, this is getting to the second stage of free agency and these are, I, w- I would say, just lower-tier free agents, not the big multi-million dollar contracts. A lot of these guys are one-year deals and smaller contracts. 
and they're guys that can fill a niche or a role on this team. You know, I'm not positive that these guys are going to be starters, but they're going to be in the mix. They're going to add some depth, and you just never know what's going to happen. You know, with the way the football season goes, people get injured, certain players excel, so you never know which one of these guys is going to be a big contributor to the team this year. So the first new player is Sidney Jones the fourth. We signed him for one year, basically $1 million. So that's not a big gamble to take on a corner. He's going to be in the mix for, you know, maybe that fourth corner, fifth corner role. Or, you, you know, you never know what's going to happen or how good he's going to play. He's more of an outside corner, six foot 181. He's going to be 27 years old when the season starts. He was a second rounder when he came out, picked number 43. So he was a top 50 player in the country, basically. He's played six seasons. 57 games in those six seasons, so that means, you know, he's had some injury problems along the way. Hopefully that stuff is behind him. He was a one-year starter for Jacksonville, and you know we're going to see what happens with him. Corner's a position you see a lot of players get injured at, so you never know if he's going to be pressed into duty, and you never know if he's one of those guys that's, you know, about to hit his peak and become, you know, more of a significant player, almost like an Eli Apple. He struggled his first few years in the league, but he finally got to a point where he got used to the NFL, he improved his game, and became a quality starter. So we'll see what happens with Sidney Jones, but welcome aboard, my friend. The next one is a tight end named Irv Smith Jr. from the Vikings. He's a fourth-year pro. He's a pass-catching tight end. He's a little undersized at 6'2", 240. They say he's a tenacious blocker, but I'm you know, viewing him with that frame. It's going to be hard to mix it up with some of the bigger defensive linemen and some of the more aggressive linebackers. So I'm really viewing him more as a pass-catching threat. They say he's faster than Hayden Hurst. And he's a great route runner. Now, the case with him is he's played 37 games over four seasons. So another one that had a little bit of an injury history. But again, this could be a guy, you know, had his first contract, had some injury issues, and now he moves on second contract. Maybe the light goes on and he becomes a much more significant player in the NFL. And if you have Joe Burrow throwing to you, it makes you a better player. So whatever happened in the past, if if this guy can run routes and has speed, He's going to have the most accurate quarterback in football throwing to him. So we can expect, hopefully, some good things out of Irv Smith Jr. And look for them to add another tight end in the draft. We only have one other guy in that room right now, Devin Asiasi. So we're obviously going to need some more tight ends. I don't know, really, there's not many more out there in the free agent market. So we're probably going to add in the draft, as I said. And Irv, I'm not sure if he's going to be the number one tight end. It depends on who we draft and how high. But he's definitely going to be in the mix to get some passes And like I said, if if you can catch the ball, Burrow's going to find you, and Burrow's going to make you a star. Both Sidney Jones and Irv Smith were high draft picks, so it means that they have the physical ability. See, that's what high draft picks are. You know, everyone has big college production that gets drafted. But when you get drafted high, you have that big production, plus you have the measurables. So both of these guys had the measurables coming out, whether it be their speed, their athletic ability, or their strength, or other things like that. So we'll see what happens. These guys are now on their second, basically their second contract, and maybe now's the time for them to take off and really advance their careers. All right, the third player was Terrell Basham. He's an edge rusher, 6'4", 266. He's a little bit older. He's going to be 29 when the season starts, a third rounder. And this is a guy that you're looking at a rotational role. And understand this, you know, we get excited when we sign these free agents it doesn't mean that everyone's going to make the team. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that he does. He's a veteran. He's got a good chance at making the team. But just because we signed you in April doesn't mean that you're a lock to be on the roster or in the rotation. But again, I hope that's not the case with Basham. Anyone who we bring aboard, I want them to be successful, obviously, if they're in a Bengals uniform. 
But the breakdown on him was six seasons, 18 starts, 11 sacks over six seasons, four different teams. So a little bit of a journeyman. And, you know, most of the guys that are journeymen are journeymen for a reason. And I don't want to get on Terrell Basham before I even see him play in stripes. So we'll see what happens with him. But again, just like playing with Joe Burrow, if you're playing in Coach Anarumo's scheme, it's going to make you a better player. So maybe Basham in this rotation and part of the great defensive line that we have, maybe we'll see some solid production out of him this season. All right, moving on, the right tackle position is going to be interesting this year. It looks like the line is solidified when you have Brown, Volson, Karras, and Kappa there. That's a pretty good group of four at the offensive line position. If they stay healthy, it's going to go a long way to helping Joe Burrow be more successful and help the running backs be more successful in the ground game, obviously. But now moving on to right tackle, even though Jonah made his demands and, you know, I'm, I'm very annoyed at him, he's still in the mix. And, you know, Miss Blackburn said he's he's one of the top five linemen they have and he's going to get every chance to start. So we don't know if they're going to deal Jonah. I guess that's also going to depend on the draft. Right with tight end and right tackle, if we draft one in the first round, you know, that's going to make a difference on what we do. That could mean that Jonah does get traded. But as of now, Jonah's on the roster. He's going to be one of four or five guys that are competing for that position. And you're going to have Jackson Carmen switching. Again, he was successful on the left. I don't really like the move to the right, but he's got no other choice at this point. He's going to be backup depth, but he has a shot at also winning the starting right tackle position. And Cody Ford, the new guy that they brought in, is also going to have a shot. Lyle Collins, when he gets back, he's going to be in the mix too. So you have a lot of options at that right tackle position. All of them kind of unknown commodities. Jonah, we don't know how he's going to translate to the right. He wasn't that great on the left. Jackson Carmen, he didn't play that well on the right side. He was very, very good on the left side. Cody Ford, kind of a career backup. So, you know, you can't necessarily pencil him in there. Lyle Collins, great player when healthy. Injuries are a concern. So, it's a big question mark on who's going to win that job. I mean, if I had my way and I was the general manager, I would draft one in the first round if it presents itself and just plug in a young player at a cheap price and, and go from there and then have your Jonas, Carmen, Ford, all as backups. And then we'll see when Collins comes back what happens with him. Kind of good problems to have. You're set on the offensive line except one spot and you have a handful of people that could be competing for that. Hopefully we get the right one, because as we've seen before, one weakness on that offensive line can result in a lot of hits on Joe Burrow. Another headline I wanted to go over, T. Higgins switching to number five. So he's going to pay for all his old 85 jerseys, but now he's going to be number five. He's going to be a single digit, just like Jamar Chase. I'm sure the jersey's going to sell a lot, and it's going to be much more noticeable when you have that single digit jersey. You're more recognizable than, you know, just another number in the 80s. And, you know, 85, Isaac Curtis, Chad Johnson, T. Higgins, all great receivers. But now T. is going to forge his way as number five. He doesn't have to worry about the legacy of the other number 85s. Just like Jamar, he comes in, wears number one. No one has ever worn number one. And no one has ever been a number one quite like him. All right, so they had the owners' meetings, and there were several topics that were talked about. First off, they're going to allow the number zero. So that goes back to that single digit. There could be someone wearing number zero for the first time in Bengal stripes and maybe having this legendary career and kind of putting their stamp on that number. Maybe they'll even have the double zero. And the only double zero I remember was Ken Burrow back in the 70s. He was a kick returner for the Oilers. It looks like they're going to vote for Thursday to be another flex scheduled day of the week. 
And I don't know, I, I understand the NFL wanting to have the best games in prime time, but I'm, I'm one that's just like, have the schedule, let everyone have their plans, don't change things, and just live or die by it. Sometimes the schedule's going to be great, sometimes the schedule's not going to be great, but just don't change the playing field halfway through the game, I guess is, is my philosophy on that. Another thing they're considering, which I'm not that crazy about, is the 4th and 20. If you Instead of an onside kick, you can opt for a 4th and 20, meaning if you get the first down, the drive continues. If you don't, they get the ball wherever you stop them, so that it's almost like an instant score for the other team. And this is a little bit of a hybrid rule. This is like in baseball, them putting the guy on second base in extra innings. It's a little weird for me. And I'm just worried that it's going to backfire in the sense that a team's going to be 4th and 20, so it's an unlikely make for a first down. But there's going to be, they're going to just throw the ball up and try to get pass interference penalties. So if that happens, it's going to ruin a lot of games based on this new rule. I know the onside kick doesn't work and it's dangerous, but I don't know. Just like with everything, if I understand the need to move the game forward and, and try different things, but I just see some holes in that 4th and 20 scheme. They're going to make personal fouls reviewable. That's another thing that's on the table, and I kind of like that because how many times has there been like a ticky-tack push on the quarterback? It costs you 15 yards, and you end up losing the game. So I'm thinking this is something that you definitely want to see reviewed. I think that every play should be able to be reviewed. Then there was some stuff on player safety. Like they don't want you to do the drag downs anymore, meaning like holding on to someone and just like falling to the ground and putting your whole body weight. I mean, that's the way that people can break limbs very easily. It looks like they're going to be more aggressive with spearing, tripping, launching, all those like more dangerous forms of tackling and blocking. And they're also probably going to outlaw the split flow block. And that's, you know the play, where they send the tight end in motion and he cracks down on the defensive end or the edge rusher that's coming from the other side. That's how T.J. Watt got hurt. Um, I think Thibodeau got hurt in preseason on one of those. You know, it's one of those cheap kind of plays where you, you blindside block someone or you get them low and they're not expecting it. And I think in the spirit of, of competition and, and being fair and not getting people hurt, I think that's a great rule to get rid of. They wanted to get rid of the quarterback push play. And I, in all of these, like the quarterback push where you have a running back come up behind the quarterback and just push him forward for a touchdown or a first down, I don't like that. I, I think they should outlaw it, but I don't think they're going to. And then another one, they were going to allow kick returners to fair catch inside the 20 and then it would be a 20, you would get it on the 25 yard line. And they were also going to make punts that were touchbacks come out to the 25. I kind of like the punt to the 25 rule because you want to make that like a skill moment in the game where your, your punter doesn't get it in the end zone. You know, I get furious when there's a touchback and unnecessarily. You know, when a guy at the goal line can't slap the ball down or the punter just boots it too far, I would like to see it come out to the 25 because then it would be uniform with kickoffs. And then Miss Blackburn had her press conference after the owners' meeting, and she talked about the two main priorities were Joe Burrow and the stadium lease. And as far as Joe Burrow goes, they're not going to be talking publicly about the negotiations. They're going to just try to make it happen behind the scenes. And I know the Bengals are going to do anything in their power to make it a deal that Joe Burrow is happy with and is going to keep him here for the rest of his career. That would be the goal. And the stadium lease, they have a good thing going down by the waterfront. It has just progressed so much over the years. It's such a good atmosphere. It helps the city so much. You know, obviously, if the Bengals leave Cincinnati, I would be absolutely devastated. You know, what, the um, Oklahoma City Bengals? No, like, none of that can happen. They have to stay in Cincinnati. I don't know if, if their stadium lease doesn't get renewed. I don't know if they would just move to another spot within Cincinnati or Ohio, or that would mean them moving out of state. 
But regardless, Miss Blackburn is not going to let that happen. So even though she talked about Burrow and the stadium being the main priorities, those are in the bag. It's just a matter of working out the details. She also mentioned that they want to sign Higgins and Logan Wilson to extensions, and that's a no-brainer. You have an offensive player there that's at the top of his position, would have been the Super Bowl MVP a couple years back. You have a defensive player who's really come into his own and is a leader on this team and does everything well at the linebacker position. So it makes sense to extend those guys. You know, you're going to probably overpay a little bit for Logan Wilson, but there's not a ton of great linebackers out there if you think about it. There's not a lot of three-down linebackers that can do it all and excel and go over 100 tackles every year. I mean, go go up and down the rosters. There's a lot of no-name guys. There's a lot of teams that do by committee. And we have a guy that's really excelling there. So you want to keep Logan Wilson around. And T. Higgins, I mean, you have to keep Burrow, Chase, and Higgins regardless of anything or anyone. Keep that tandem together. I'd like to throw Tyler Boyd in there. I'm not sure the Bengals totally feel that way. But at least those big three, if you keep them together... You're going to be competitive for years and years. So I'm fully behind T. Higgins' extension, Joe Burrow getting the biggest contract ever, and next year, Jamar Chase getting a fat extension as well. And she also said that Joe Mixon is still the guy, but that's going to depend on what other pieces they bring in. So she said it's almost like fitting a jigsaw puzzle together on who's going to be on your final roster, who's going to help the team the most. So Joe Mixon should be here and starting for the Bengals unless they draft someone high in the draft or they get a player that simply just beats them out. And there's also the option of Joe Mixon taking a pay cut to stay with the Bengals. And that's something that no player is happy about, but I think that he might do it because he's, he's made a lot of money over his career. He's going to get a chance to probably go to the AFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. And, you know, he's not going to get $10, 12 $13 million from other teams either. So maybe it's like take what you can get, stay comfortable where you're at, and make a deep run towards the Super Bowl. You know, as you get on in your career, those things almost become more important than the money. So we'll see where everything lands with Joe Mixon. Personally, I'd like to bring him back. And if anyone wants to point to deficiencies in his running, some of that was due to the offensive line. But also, if you look, Mixon is starting to develop into more of a pass-catching running back. And as I said in previous episodes, I think that's what he's going to be in the future. More of like a a third-down, catch-the-ball-out-of-the-backfield type of guy. She also mentioned that Jonah Williams is still in the plans and that he's one of the five best linemen on the team. So that's a continuing story that we'll continue to monitor. And she also said they're keeping the turf field. They're happy with it. And she said some of the major injuries that happened last year were actually on grass. So that reinforces the front office's belief that their turf field is good. So nothing's going to change there. All right, so let's move on to the position group grades for the 2022 season. I know it's a little late to be doing this, but I've been pushing it off because there's been other pressing matters to talk about. But here we are, still worth talking about because we can talk about the roster. We can head into the draft thinking about who did good, who did bad, what position groups need help. So it's not only fun for me to do, I think it's a fun exercise to kind of just see where the the team was and where we're going. So I want to start by saying everybody pretty much gets a good grade when you go to your second straight AFC championship game. And this team, you know, wins, what, 10, 11 games in a row. We mow through the playoffs until the very end. It's hard to really cut on anybody because we were such a good team this year. All right, so quarterback, F. No, I'm only kidding. Obviously an A, Joe Burrow, best quarterback in the league. I'm not even going to put Brandon Allen in that mix because he barely saw the field. So obviously when you're talking about the Cincinnati quarterback position, It's an A, and I'm not going to go spouting off about Joe Burrow's attributes. I do that pretty much every episode. We know 
no one's going to question that. No one in the NFL or in the world is going to question that Joe Burrow did not have an A performance this season. Running backs, I'm going to give a B. Now, a lot of people might have that grade lower because Joe Mixon didn't get 1,000 yards and didn't have as good of a season that he had in years past. But if you look at the group as a whole, again, I think they were affected by the offensive line struggles. And I think that Joe Mixon would have had a bigger year if the offensive line gelled a little bit more quickly this season. But regardless, Mixon had a couple big games. The run game did the job. It got us to the AFC Championship game. Mixon excelled catching the ball out of the backfield. P. Ryan had a great year and showed that he's worthy of being a number one back somewhere. And he was also good out of the backfield. I think the protection for the running backs was good. I know Mixon gets criticized a little bit for it. But most of the sacks were not happening because of the running backs. And you had Chris Evans who had a couple flashes early, and then they forgot about him again. I just don't know what's going on. That's one of the biggest mysteries. Maybe it's just how he shows up in practice. I don't know. Maybe they just like the guys ahead of him more, but I'd like to see him get more of an opportunity. And, you know, he had that touchdown against Kansas City, which was basically a game winner. And then you have Travion Williams, another player who, when he's in there, he does really well. So if you think about the performances of all of those guys, how can you give that any lower than a B? Wide receiver, they get an A. Jamar Chase, one of the best in the league. T. Higgins, one of the best in the league. Tyler Boyd, one of the best slots in the league. So you have this deadly threesome there. Of course, I'm going to give this group an A. Trenton Irwin had a, had a great breakout season. Stanley Morgan is a major force on special teams. And Trent Taylor, again, a guy that I would use more from scrimmage if I were them, but he contributed in the punt game. And, you know, he didn't light up anything this year, but still as your number six not too bad. Tight ends, I'm going to give a B- to. Now, I think Hayden Hurst had a great year. If, if you look at the numbers, not as great as you think, but I think he made a big impact. And I know Uzama was a, a pass-catching tight end to a degree, but Hurst was a real pass-catching tight end. And more than anything, it just showed that if you give Joe Burrow that kind of weapon, what he can do with it. So even though Hayden Hurst is gone, it set the tone for us to say, hey, we want another guy like that. And I think Wilcox had a decent year blocking. Asiasi's a great blocker. Uh, Sample was hurt, so that's an incomplete grade there. So when you when you put it all together, we got some production. It was eye-opening what Burrow can do with a Hurst type. But overall, not a group that totally excelled, but not a group that was bad either. So a B- minus for the tight ends. Offensive line, I'm going to give them a C-. I know they came together late, and we realized that Volson could be a starter in this league. And Kappa and Karras are great. I think the tackle struggled. You know, Jonah had another mediocre season, even though he flashed at times. Lyle Collins wasn't the Lyle Collins that we thought we were going to get, and then injuries took him out. You know my thoughts on Adenergy, so I'm not even going to go into that. And then, you know, the rest of the backups, Sharping, uh, Isaiah Prince barely played. Jackson Carmen, I think, did great when he came in. But, you know, overall as a group, there was a lot of hits on Joe Burrow. There was a lot of sacks on Joe Burrow. There were a lot of times where there was nowhere for Joe Mixon to run as well. I think it's going to be better in the future. Volson's going to be a year better. Karras and Kappa have it, so we don't have to worry about them. Orlando Brown's going to be great. And like we talked about, we're going to figure out right tackle. So the offensive line is going to get a higher grade next year, I assume. But for this season, it's a C-. Defensive line, A. Linebackers, A. Defensive backs, A. Uh, Maybe some of those are up for debate. Maybe people want to debate the defensive backs, but let's just go right across the defense. I think on every level, it was an A performance. 
DJ Reader at the top of the league. B.J. Hill, a phenomenal re-signing. Hendrickson, maybe not the year that he had the year before, but a dominant force in there. Hubbard, a breakout year. Rotational guys like Sample, Tupo, even Osai, all those guys contributed this year. You have a Zach Carter as a rookie who came in and showed he could be part of that rotation. You had Jay Tufeli come in off the street and become a functional player. So, you know, Coach Hobby's doing a great job there, but everyone at the defensive line position was performing at a high level this year. We were deadly against the run, and we got a good amount of pressure, enough to go to the AFC Championship game out of the pass rush. So without a doubt, an A for this defensive line group, and I think it's just going to continue on to this season as long as everyone stays healthy, and the key to it all is DJ Reader. He's like Joe Burrow. With Reader in there, the rest of that defensive line is going to be stars. With Joe Burrow in there, anyone on that offensive skill position is going to be a star. Linebacker, we talked about Logan Wilson, a three-down linebacker who is peaking right now, hitting his prime. Jermaine Pratt has gotten better and better and better over his career. Big plays, a leader, a hard hitter, an enforcer, can go side to side, helps out in the pass game, in coverage. I think Akeem Davis-Gaither brought up his game. He's a little more of a role player, but he's a special teamer as well. But I think he played better. He bulked up from year one. Marcus Bailey, you know, a good guy that you can fit in in a pinch. Bocce and Johnston did their job on special teams. Bocce did a little bit from scrimmage when needed as well. So linebackers, you know, we're only putting two on the field at once typically. But if you look across that whole group, no one underachieved and no one played badly. The stars played like stars. The backups filled in and there wasn't a huge drop-off. So an A to the linebackers group. And defensive backs. Now, whenever someone lets up a touchdown, you know, you want to give them a lower grade. It's, we're so fickle with that. You know, when it's hard to cover someone in sports. If you've ever done it, you don't know where they're going. And when you're on the NFL level, it's a world-class athlete that you don't know where he's going. So you have to rely on tendencies and techniques and experience and immense physical capabilities. So that's what a corner is in this league. So yeah, you could see some long passes get let up and be mad at Eli Apple or Awuzier blew that coverage or Britt, he's still learning. No, but if you think about what those guys did, I mean, there were games where opposing wide receivers didn't do anything against us. And when you look at the group, Awuzier was playing at a Pro Bowl level before he got hurt. Hilton is great in the slot, amazing at the line of scrimmage, and you know his coverage is is solid enough where he's a, a very, very good slot corner. Cam Taylor Britt came into his own. Eli Apple, I'm a big fan of. I think he's a good player. We need to re-sign him. Think about it. We went to the AFC Championship game in the Super Bowl back-to-back years with him being in charge of one side of the field. You know, if he was that bad of a player, we would have gotten picked apart, and he never did. And you know, we can go back to the Cooper Cup touchdown in the Super Bowl two years ago. But like I said, even the best corners in football weren't going to cover that, like, back shoulder fade route from, you know, one of the best receivers in the game. So Eli Apple, great year out of him. I don't care what anybody says. Bring him back, and he is worthy. Of, I give Eli Apple an A on his own for his performance this year. And you had Trey Flowers get in there and do his normal job on tight ends. So he developed into a niche player. Alan George came off the bench and did well. Jalen Davis is a solid backup corner. I'm glad they brought him back for two years. So when you look at that whole group, you have a pro bowler there. You have a rookie there who's looking like he's the real deal. You have Eli Apple, a veteran who rejuvenated his career. Mike Hilton, a star at his position. Jalen Davis, a star backup at that position. Flowers, a role player. George, an undrafted free agent who came in for a game or two and and was, was solid. 
So that's that's an A for corner. But I, I take the secondary as a whole, and you look at Von Bell doing it in all aspects of the game. Coverage, run protection, hitting, playing in the offense's backfield. Jesse Bates, you know, he, he never achieved what he did two years ago where he was one of the best safeties in the game. But I still think he had a very good year. Not much out of Dax Hill. That's a little bit of an incomplete grade. Brandon Wilson never saw the field. Mike Thomas, a great special teamer. So when you just take, maybe the safeties in themselves might not be an A, but when you take the defensive backfield collectively, you have to give that group an A. So the A's have been quarterback, obviously, wide receiver, and every level of the defense. The B's, running back and tight end. The C's, offensive line. And now one last grade that is going to get a C, and that's special teams. And Coach Simmons always has our special teams at the top of the NFL this year was a little bit different. I guess, you know, McPherson wasn't totally used to the new snapper-holder combination. I think that affected his play a little bit. We got some sporadic play out of Huber when he was in there. We got some sporadic play out of Crisman when he was there. We didn't have too many big returns in the return game from Travion, from Chris Evans, or from Trent Taylor. And we also let up some big returns, which is very uncharacteristic of us. So when you take all of that together... Our special teams weren't necessarily a liability. I believe they did cost us a game. But collectively, I'm going to have to give them a C for this year. But I don't think that's going to be a problem either because pretty much every other year of Coach Simmons' tenure, they've been an A or a B-level squad. Coaching, an A. Coach Taylor has really come into his own as a leader and as a play caller and just building this culture. You know, enough said on him. The players love him. The media is starting to love him finally. And, you know, he's he has a great playoff record. And his first two years hurt his lifetime record win-loss percentage. But look at what he's done over the last couple years. And he's one of the best coaches in the game if you look at records alone. But I look at more than that. I just look at the culture and the second-half adjustments. I think those are the two main things. Coach Anarumo is turning into one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. You come into the game with a good game plan, and you're making these crazy halftime adjustments that are limiting teams to not being able to score touchdowns in the second half and just winning the game at halftime repeatedly. So he's an obvious A for a coach. And then I don't want to break down every coach, but if you look, the linebackers excelled, the defensive line excelled, the wide receivers excelled, the the coaching that Joe Burrow gets, even though he probably doesn't need it, the running backs are always well-prepared. Our, our backups are always well-prepared right across the line. The defensive backfield, you know, all the good grades that are coming out. They even talk about Coach Casey as being one of the top tight end coaches in the league. You know, very popular. Players love him. Very good at what he does. So when you take all of that, you got to give the coaching staff an A. And it really is Coach Taylor, Coach Callahan, Coach Anarumo, and Coach Simmons as like the main coordinators. But all the positional coaches have been doing a great job as well. And I'm not just saying that as a homer. I mean, you know, the proof is out there. You see, we're, we're a team that's on top of the league. We're making great adjustments, and we're developing players. Whether they're young players or backups, everyone is succeeding in this system. And again, the culture is, is second to none. And lastly, front office, I'm going to give an A-2. minus They were aggressive in improving the offensive line, and it seems to work. It worked last year for the most part, but I think it's going to pay dividends moving forward. We found the attributes of having a pass-catching tight end, so the Hayden Hurst signing was good. I guess the only reason why I would give him an A- minus right now is Dax Hill, because it was a first-round pick who didn't really contribute in his rookie year. I guess that grade can change if he's our starting free safety next year and has a phenomenal season. But I think they drafted well. You know, you, you pulled two longtime starters, if Britt keeps playing like he did, and Volson. You have a good rotational guy in Zach Carter. 
Dax Hill is a question mark. Hopefully he turns into a productive starter. If he does, now you pulled three starters out of that draft. Tyson Anderson, you know, special teamer, injured. We don't know what's going to happen with him. Gunter barely saw the field. So, you know, you take the draft, the free agency. There were very few misses and a lot of positive contributions to the team. So front office, Mr. Brown, Mr. Tobin, Ms. Blackburn, and everyone else up there, I give you guys an A- and thank you for what you've done for this team. All right, so that's it. Those are my grades. I'd love to hear your opinion and what grades you would give the position groups. It's, it's fun to do this. It's fun to talk about the roster and the position groups and performances. And, you know, anything I, I talk about on this show, I'd like you to take on your own and, and amongst your friends. Talk about it, what, what your take would be on that topic because I'm sure you guys have great takes as well. And, again, you can DM me on Instagram or Twitter. You can email me, the unofficial Bengals podcast at Gmail, and just use what I'm talking about here to form your own conversations and your own opinions. And let's just keep rooting for this team and having a good time with our favorite sport. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to feature a special guest, Colonel Sandinista from Twitter. He's a great follow and knows a lot about this team and has some great insights. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.